Hello and welcome to the Pads Dads podcast. Pads is an initiative from Down Syndrome UK, a registered national charity, uh, and Pads means positive about Down Syndrome. Uh, this initiative helps people from pregnancy to starting primary. Basically, what that means uh, is people who are just finding out that their child has Down syndrome. My name's Ben, I'm dad to Leo, and we found out when he was four days old that he had Down syndrome. And to be honest, I very much stuck my head in the sand. I didn't reach out, I didn't talk, I didn't want to, I wasn't ready to. And to be honest, that's kind of what this podcast is all about. If you're a dad who's recently found out that your child has Down syndrome or will have Down syndrome when they're born, it can be a overwhelming and mad time and, you know, this podcast is here for you to, to listen to and hopefully you get some good information from it. But also, I really hope that it's a comfort as well. People have been where you are and you're not on your own. In this first episode, I'm meeting Jim. Jim is dad to Millie, who's three and a half. And it's a really interesting conversation. Jim is a really successful businessman. Um, he set up and run a digital agency in London for 10 years and sold it. Uh, before moving out to the countryside. Um, He's very driven and you can tell that in this conversation. I think what's really interesting about this conversation is just kind of how practical Jim is. I think that to be honest, I need to be a bit more Jim. I need to start thinking about more stuff in a kind of logical way. At the same time, he's obviously got a fabulous emotional bond with Millie. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And of course, if you'd like to find out more about PADS or PADS Dads, uh, then you can go to the website downsyndromeuk.co.uk or search for Positive About Down Syndrome on social media. There's also two Facebook groups that you can join, which are closed, uh, non-judgmental, private, PADS Dads and PADS Dads to be. Have a search for them as well. Right, let's meet Jim. Welcome to the Pads Dads podcast. Great to see you. Yeah, good to be here. Really um, excited to do this. I think uh, as I sort of shared ahead of doing this, I'd sort of felt there was a gap for something a bit like this myself. And it was something that had, uh, had crossed my mind. Um, so I'm Jim Bowes. Uh, I'm dad to Millie, who's three and a half. Uh, when she was born, we lived in London, um, but we now live in Somerset. Millie was born premature, about seven and a half weeks premature. And we were actually on holiday. We were having a little sort of... Uh, baby moon I, I guess would be the term um, in Norfolk uh, so only a couple of hours from where we lived in East London and Louise was my partner was feeling a bit unwell on 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 the Sunday so we sort of stayed in didn't do much on the Saturday evening we'd been eating ice creams on the beach you know getting ourselves into this this little break on the Monday we were like well let's potter around let's uh, do some shopping we we bought a present for a friend's son we went for lunch in Holt in Norfolk and then we were like well let's go and get you checked out at the hospital and we literally I was at a crossroads or not a crossroads a junction and there was a left and a right and the hospitals were about equidistant uh, one was a smaller hospital uh, and the other was in Norwich. So about an hour's drive either way. And we're like, should we go left? Should we go right? And I decided to go left. We arrived there at about half two in the afternoon. And by 6.33, I think it was, Millie was born. Um, so no. that was a shock. Yeah, just a bit. Did you always want to be a dad, Jim? No. And I, for a long time, was quite sure I didn't want to be a dad. <laughs> and I'd been very focused. Uh, so I spent most of my 30s building my own business, I just didn't think it was for me. Like I always had loads of projects on that I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I suppose you would describe it as selfish, really. Like I wanted to just crack on with my things. But I suppose the 
non-selfish thing amongst it was going, well, I won't have kids so I can get on with all my selfish projects. Um, but I met um, Louise, we, we had we had worked together, my, my, my partner and I, and I guess the business was on a firmer footing and uh, we talked about it and 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 decided, and you know, and in some, depending on your view on these things, we were probably, or I, I won't speak for her, but I was, I guess, a relatively old dad. So Millie's three and a half, I'm 43 in a couple of weeks. So not certainly not a young dad. Let, let's put it like that. Um, there's plenty of rock stars that still have kids when they're when they're 70. But um, and, and, and you know we're a similar age, and um, Louise is a bit younger than me. And so we we I suppose we sort of thought it's a now is a good now is a good time if we're going to do it. I guess. Um, so yeah, we 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 decided to have Millie. There was we had no idea that she had Down syndrome when she was born, and we found out a couple of days after after she was born, she was in the neonatal neonatal intensive care unit at, at Norwich Hospital, and we were we were told in a slightly sad windowless room, um, but actually the consultant was was good. One of the things I really remember from that experience was he said, "I'm not going to say sorry. You've got uh, a you know wonderful child who's who, who's healthy. Um, um, uh, they have Down syndrome." So it wasn't apologetic or anything like that, which I think was a positive. Um, but there were some slightly sad and traumatizing aspects to that experience um, because we were on holiday. I was staying in the equivalent of halls uh, in the hospital and there were other parents who had quite sick children around. So you were sort of, the, the experience was quite um, discombobulating in, in, in various ways. It's really interesting you, you say that because you know, our consultant is lovely. We still see them regularly Leo's only eight months we got an appointment in a couple of weeks to see our consultant she was really upset when she told us about Leo's Down syndrome and and I I think this was a um she was trying to you know be empathetic but she she did say you know I'm I'm so sorry I think you know Jen was very obviously upset by it she started to cry and I think maybe that kind of led the consultant to kind of use words like I'm sorry but she also said things like you know, life can be very different. And you go, don't need to hear that this <laughs> particular yeah, time. Yeah, I was quite, the, the 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 consultant was, I'm, I grew up in Cheshire. So I'm, I'm sort of, I've lived a lot in the South, but I'm sort of from, from everywhere. And the, um, the, the consultant was from Stockport, I think, and had a sort of quite warm, but firm northernness. <laughs> um, and, the, the, um, the, and I think that sort of like, kind of like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say sorry. This is going to be okay. Was was probably the the better of the approaches. It, it, you know, it we obviously there were still tears and fear um, at that moment because we just every, what, the thing is you're sort of mourning the expectations that you've created for yourself of what your life's going to be like. It's not that you're not going to have an amazing experience, but or everything that happens during a pregnancy sort of builds you up for a bunch of things. And then you've got this thing that you haven't prepared for, a diagnosis that you haven't prepared for. And ultimately at that point, you don't really know what it's going to be like. So it's really more a fear of the unknown and the loss of a thing, things that you've imagined or the fear of losing the things that you'd imagined. That's why I asked you actually, did you always want to be a dad? Because for me, when we found out, that was a really important part of the process for me is to go, why did I want to be a dad? Is Millie your only child? Yes. Yeah. That's really interesting because I've not met anybody else actually yet who is in the same situation to me. So my fiance, Jem, 
this is our first child. Leo's my first child. She's got a 15-year-old and a a 10-year-old. So for me, I think we, we felt very different things. I felt a bit cheated. And I know that that's not a nice thing to say, but the what you're talking about, that kind of expectations of fatherhood. Not that I was going to be the pushy dad on the sidelines. Go on, get stuck in, son. You know, I wasn't going to be that guy. But I just kind of, I felt like this was the only time that we were going to do this. You know, we'd had conversations that, that we'd love to have a child together, but this would probably be the child that we have together. And so I did kind of feel a bit cheated. Like I've been cheated out of a, a normal, in inverted commas, experience here. Did you feel like that at all? You know, once Millie had arrived, I, I sort of became sort of practical quite quickly. But but I suppose what I would say is in the in the lead up to her arrival, probably one of my worst nightmares would be the idea of having a disabled child. So probably the thing that I had feared the most came true. And then... I immediately became quite practical about it and, and 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 obviously it's not turned out to be bad at all and and I have an amazing relationship with Millie and and if anything you know uh, I've gained huge amounts from from having her in my life that I may not have gained with a typical child but I do think there was a sort of there was like um so I I you know I ran a company for the last decade and I had staff and I was used to sort of I guess being in front of people and holding a sort of public persona of how I felt about something. And I think definitely there was a sort of duality in the, the, a series of feelings and emotions that I sort of processed quite quietly and quite um, internally, whilst whilst also presenting a sort of practical plus this is fine um, exterior. Yeah, I did pretty much exactly the same thing. Why is it? like why Why was it the nightmare? to have a child with a disability. You know, I think in some ways it comes back to a level of selfishness because you've got a, a a version of how you want to live your life in your head and you have a fear that this is going to make loads of things much harder that you wanted and expected out of life. And you, I think as humans, what I would also say about the sort of duality that I experienced was I don't think I was being untrue or inauthentic in in either of those there were some things i wanted to sort of discuss internally and have my internal dialogue and narrative about and i the feelings of sort of positivity that i perhaps uh, portrayed and and portray are also true but i but i what i experienced was a sort of a lot of oscillating between uh, feeling like everything's going to be great and everything's going to be fine and then things that i was pretty scared about and i think you know really what we're talking about here is a pinch of selfishness, which is something probably that all parents experience is that reality of your life is not totally your own anymore. And then there's just that sort of fear of the of the unknown and that you, you all of the images and brothers, sisters, cousins who've had children, all of those sort of frames of reference that you have are perhaps not quite as relevant to you as you once thought they were. And so you're sort of left a little bit um, uh, isolated or alone in your understanding and, until you start to speak to other people and, and realise actually it's all going to be fine. So, I mean, how is Millie 
health wise millie's great health wise yeah so um she she's three and a half now we're starting to look at um schools she is still getting her mobility so her communication skills are exceptionally strong she can form words and sentences and she knows what most things are in her day-to-day life so her she's a great communicator louise and millie went to speech and language therapy really early with a charity while we were still in london and we've sort of, you know, worked worked hard on both Makaton and signing and sort of the forming of words and the cards that support that learning. But I think uh, her her focus on her speech and language and communication skills has been um, uh, perhaps uh, her priority over walking and things like that. So we're working hard with her to get her sort of uh, mobility skills where, where they need to be. Um, she's going to start school in about a year and a half and ideally you know she'd be walking really well by the time we get to that and then we were very fortunate with with regards health there was um some some small heart related concerns early on we still lived in london at the time and we um so we were under the sort of treatment of great ormond street hospital but um they just sort of waited for her to grow a bit and and that all sort of became okay naturally and she was discharged after about a year from gosh Great Ormond Street Hospital. And, you know, really, generally, her health is great. Apart from in the winter, she just picks up everything at nursery. And, you know, obviously that happens lots for lots of children, um, but that can get a little bit more intense and a little bit more brutal for us um, because she sometimes struggles to clear a cold from her chest and so it can it can progress. So her health generally is fantastic. We we went traveling for a couple of months this year, so we've taken a toddler around the world with us. Wow. Uh, on a, okay. Yeah, she'd never made a flight before, so we'd had two holidays previously booked, and then she'd not been well enough to fly. But yeah, we left in uh, towards the end of March, and we went to um, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, and Singapore with her. Amazing. Um, and uh, And so, you know, we were obviously... You know, I was insuring it everywhere I could because I'm like she's never made it to a flight, uh, and uh, we we did 50 days away uh, with her, and uh, yeah, she's had a very healthy. We got away for the end of the winter basically, and tried to because she'd been so she'd picked up so many colds and had had pneumonia and chickenpox and strep and all sorts of things over this winter, and so just to get away from the British weather. <laughs> in March and like come back to when it's been glorious here since we got back in May. So we're very, very fortunate. The way things have panned out with my business meant that Louise and I had both finished working there and I had a bit of time that, 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 you know, is felt very fortunate to have before I was planning to start anything else. And so we're like, let's use this as a family as a really great opportunity to do something that she won't remember the uh, what she did on that trip but i think hopefully elements of what she experienced will form part of who she is jim you mentioned that you're having to work hard at the moment to improve millie's mobility skills do you ever feel disheartened you know having to put in all this extra work to try and get millie where she needs to be firstly what i'd say is like louise my partner does the lion's share of all the hard stuff and the appointments and loads of other things that that require a huge amount of extra effort. And I think, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time with Millie. I hang out with Millie a lot and we do stuff. But if I had to be like a million percent honest, I think I probably get more 
a better a bigger share of fun than really hard stuff than my partner so i would i suppose i'd like to give some credit uh to, to her for all the amazing extra stuff and all the additional learning that that she's done we don't we don't try to limit ourselves to what we can and can't do with millie we've taken her to music festival last year and you know and camped at that and so sort of really try and just crack on with life and we have lots of you know friends that that are very familiar with millie and 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 hang out with her and so she's pretty sociable um what we are finding although this is not untypical for sort of toddlers is she gets quite shy around other kids her own age and so she can be very loud and into stuff with a cast of sort of grown-ups um that she knows fairly well but then actually in in some sort of situations with her peers perhaps doesn't socialize as as much as we hope that she will in the future have you got any idea why i think some of it is just quite common for any toddler um so i I don't like i'm not um i don't know whether it's the some of it is perhaps a developmental delay of getting the sort of social skills and interactions and knowing what to do to an extent she's always quite um fan girly over slightly older girls so like if there's a sort of seven eight nine ten year old around then she gets all star struck um i remember being like that though i remember like i remember being in the cubs and thinking that the guy who was my sixer he must have only been like three years older than me but he was a rock star i remember his i remember his name i remember exactly what he looked like you know it's interesting that isn't it because you kind of got to remind yourself that some of this stuff is just you know typical babies are exactly the same you know yeah. it might like my auntie for example was telling me the other day that my cousin josh he didn't eat solid food until he was like 18 months old like she was she having to mush everything up she was like he's only ever gonna he's gonna be a 21 year old man and he can only eat soup you know you've got to remind yourself sometimes that this is not this might not necessarily be to do with the diagnosis this might just be a baby thing yeah, and it, and it can be sort of a bit of both, all moulded into a sort of single, um, a single thing that you're experiencing. And for a long time, Millie liked to throw. I mean, she's still quite partial to some throwing, but like, so food would get thrown a lot, and spoons would get really thrown a lot. But you know, that's just like not an uncommon toddler behaviour. What you do experience, perhaps, is sometimes they go on for longer because the the sort of moving through a certain behavior perhaps takes a little bit longer can we talk about the future yeah sure because in your email to me you said that you are working with a charity you're on the board of a charity in somerset that works with adults with learning disabilities what you said here is that you've been able to get up. I've been able to get my head around Millie's life as a child, but I had far more questions in my head about her life as an adult. So I decided to get involved in that space early. What do you mean by that? What are you worried about? I suppose there's a system that is pretty well understood and it's not without its challenges or its bumps in the road up until when what a, a child leaves school. So Last year, this year, earlier this year, Millie got her first EHCP, um, Educational Healthcare Plan, which documents is a documented statement of her needs and really like the local authorities' responsibilities to her in an educational setting. Now, 
we um, expect that she will start primary school in, in mainstream education and she may well be able to stay in ma- mainstream education all the way through secondary school or she, she, she may not be able to do that. And, and at times we may have specific challenges with the schools and we may need to challenge the school or work with the local authority or work with the school to, to, to make sure Millie gets the best educational experience that she can have. Lots of those things are not uncommon for parents of typical children either, you know, needing to sort of get the most out of a school for a wide range of things. So I think I can sort of just get my head around that sort of somewhat systemized and and linear approach. But if we look at, you know, any time there's an election campaign, there's normally one of the footnotes is uh, how adult social care is a disaster in this country, a ticking time bomb, underfunded, all of that sort of thing. And actually... So what happens is you've got this period of time when Millie is 18, 19, 20, 21, where Louise and I will be getting older and we'll want to know that she is set up for a positive and successful future. Hopefully, you know, uh, as long as I keep making it to the gym, I'll, you know, I've got a few good few years left in me, even after she's in her twenties, but we're, we're both going to be getting older. We, we might be able to do less and we're going to want her to lead a full and independent life. And it's, uh, and there is a consideration, I suppose, after we're here, what does that look like and who is going to be the person that looks out for her? And obviously we want her to have as many of the skills as possible to look out for herself but but I think the space is is sort of complicated and a bit of a patchwork of, you know, local authorities doing things and charities doing things and what it, what does a fulfilling life for her look like as an adult? And obviously, I've no idea what she's going to be like and what she's going to want as an adult. But I feel that if I understand the landscape better, then I can play a better role in helping shape some of her her world and, her, and maybe a little bit of the world to be more positive. Do you think about kind of one scenario, one dream outcome in terms of her living an independent and fulfilling life or are there kind of different versions of that? I think there's, you know, I want her to be happy doing whatever she's doing and I want to know that she's got the level of support she needs from people who are genuinely holding her best interests at heart. So that's where it comes from as a starting point. Do I have specific interests that I guess are my interests in how, what are some of the ways you might go about that? I think there's some of like, you know, where do you live? Who are the people do you interact with and what do you do on a day-to-day basis? And so I'm pretty interested in businesses that work with people with learning disabilities and how people have purposeful work and employment. That That's a specific interest area of, of mine. But I don't think that that's the only way Millie could lead a happy and fulfilled life. It, you know, it might be that she doesn't want to get involved in a business that I've set up, hoping that she'll want to get involved in it. When did you start thinking about that kind of stuff, Jim? Like, how old was Millie? I think as soon as I'd got my head around, okay, this is what happens through school. I immediately started thinking right, okay. at, at the yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. What were literally once I understood, okay, there's these things called educational healthcare plans. We get a statement of needs. Millie may have a TA. She can probably be a mainstream school, at least to begin with. So sort of as I, I suppose I just started eating away at the years in my brain going, yeah, what yeah. happens? And I suppose trying to find out what are, what are all the possibilities. And then I sort of hit this wall of, okay, so you get to 18 and then it's like so many different things could happen. Then you have to be, then I think the task is to be able to help Millie 
navigate what she wants at that point. And to do that, I feel like understanding the landscape will help. Now, there's every possibility I will develop an intimate understanding of Somerset's providers for adults with learning disabilities and then we'll move. So it, it's, you know, in some ways, <laughs> in in some ways, like, like I, I'm, what I'm looking for really is the ability to give something back to some of the charities or, and the charity that I'm working with at the moment and from them, I suppose, just get a general understanding of what, what life looks like. And the other thing that I've been able to do through that is meet a lot of um, parents of, of children that are now grown-ups and, and hear, hear and learn from their experiences, which I've found beneficial. And I'm sure not everybody, you know, will have a two-year-old and jump to what life's going to be like when they're 18, but it's just a foible of how my mind works. My brain says, yes, go out there and learn as much as possible because, you know, knowledge is power, isn't it? And, you know, yeah, I should be being more active in this kind of stuff. Then it also says just just try and be present. So I'm kind of... I'm kind of stuck, you know, and I suppose that's why doing this project, so I'm selfishly doing this project, you know, yeah, I want it to help new dads out there who've got a diagnosis they weren't necessarily expecting. But for me, it's a kind of, it's a good kind of gauge. It's a good kind of check. Like, not am I doing this right? Because you can't do it right or wrong. But it's just kind of a like hearing you talk about that. Actually, it's encouraging me to think like I haven't done I'm going to get it wrong now. E educational something plan. E E H C P. Yeah. Um, E H C P. I I don't know about any of that stuff yet. But maybe that's you know because he's eight months, so he's he's not a year old yet. But it'll come round quick. The last eight months have they've been flown like it won't be long until we're getting his first uniform yeah yeah and then this is her first one this year and and we were you know we had some great support from a charity to help with uh the the, the writing of that and so you know the support is there when you need it and and you know you're right like it's always it's always a, a juggle and a balance isn't it you know certainly since millie's arrived i've i've rejigged my working life and and admittedly as i sort of said before there's been a little break but but i'm now working again but i've i've decided really to try and contain work to four days a week if i can and 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 you know be around a bit more for for family life this one's open to interpretation jim this question so it can be you know about you about the world about whatever but you mentioned earlier that you feel as if having Millie and Millie with Down syndrome, you've learned things that you may not necessarily have known had you been the father to a typical child. What are those things? I think, you know, more than anything since having Millie, I've learned a lot about myself and my internal narratives and how I process information and uh, my own insecurities and anxieties. And, and, And I'm probably just... I'm probably a bit more rounded as a human um, since she's come into my to my life. I, you know, I spent a decade exceptionally driven and focused on building a business, and um, whilst I hope that I was a pretty calm and level-headed leader most of the time, I was a bit singular in what I was trying to achieve, and I had really, I'd never sort of. I never would have taken Fridays off. I don't, you know, I was pretty fixed in my pursuit of what I was trying to do. And I think a goal in life is to be good at managing your energy and being able to give the best to the various aspects of your life. And I think it's it's taught 
I've learned, particularly with the mix of Millie arriving and moving to the country, I think I've learned a lot about where I find energy and get energy and where I sort of give energy and trying to keep all the things in balance. And whenever I've stopped doing anything too much, so where, where I had a period where I wasn't working at the start of the year, you know, you really come to realize, oh, that's something I, 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 you know, I mean, it was never going to be <laughs> forever, so I didn't need to worry about it. But, um, but, but, but I think getting that sort of like real mix of of all of the things that sort of nourish you, so that you can be a good version of yourself, and whether that's exercise, whether that's time out with just you and your partner, whether that's spending time as a family, whether that's the work that you do, I, I think it's being conscious of what things are doing what for you and thinking about that and being a bit more reflective about it is something that I've definitely done more of. I've probably also taken a bit more interest in my own health, both mental and physical, because I'm like, I feel like I've got more of a reason than ever to last on this planet a reasonable length of time. It's really funny you say that. I've, for years, wanted to get out, get my trainers on and be one of these people that pounds the pavements, you know. Yeah, I'll do a 10K one day. Never done it. Never done it. But now I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing the couch to 5K thing and I've booked my 10K in for September. I'm going to do it for that exact reason. You know, this is, and I think I'd do that if I was, you know, if I become a dad anyway. You know, you want to, you want to be around. You want, of course. that classic, isn't it? You want to play footy with the kids and, you know, you don't want to be out of breath. And blah, blah, blah. But also you're right. There is a, there is a, a, a more of a, um, it's, it's important that I, I look after myself I've got another quote from my quotes board. It's from Professor Green. You're no good to anyone if you're no good to yourself. But it does, you know, I think having a having a child with Down syndrome, you're right. You want to be around for as long as possible, don't you? And, you know, as you say, you hope to kind of set up the structures that they'll always be looked after and supported. But, you know, you kind of, you want to oversee it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, but I do think, like you said, that's a a universal parent feeling. And it's just that I hadn't considered really feeling that feeling because I'd been more focused on other things. And so, yes, there's, there might be a few extra considerations for us, but, um, you know, plenty of parents get diagnosis that send them sideways when their child's at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. All kinds yeah. of things can happen as a parent. So Very true. I think, what you know, one of the things I reflected on really early was this is something that we know from day four, let's call it, and something that we can work with and learn about. And it's absolutely unknown. Jim, thanks so much for your time today. It's weird talking, I'm not comfortable yet. And I think this is is the first one of these that I've done and I'm not 100% comfortable talking about it yet. And I also think like, I'm, I'm not just not comfortable talking about it as a dad. I'm also, I found it difficult. Like I don't want to get things wrong as well, you know? And that's another side of things here that, I don't know. I think education and have, and pushing myself out of my comfort zone and having these conversations, it's important for a number of reasons. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been, it's been great. Yeah. I think it's, I think that point is, is difficult, isn't it? Because you're sort of, you're coming from a position of like lived experience. You know, you, you, you have a, a son that has, has Down syndrome and I have a daughter that has Down syndrome, but there's a load of, uh, there is a community which, you know, there's not that many dads involved in. And there are sort of conventions within that community of how you say certain things. And 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 it can be easy to just be sort of scared into silence so that you don't say the wrong 
thing. And so I think getting dads more familiar with with terminology and the community and uh and and then uh, you know one of the things that i still find difficult is it's very common for people to say a down's child rather than a child with down syndrome yeah uh, and and i still I, I know what i i i used to say that i didn't realize that that wasn't the right way and i totally understand why you know mm. this is the the the, the the Down syndrome does not define Leo. Leo has Down syndrome. Yeah, exactly. I totally get it, but I just I would never would have thought of that. But before. I still I still find it exceptionally difficult to correct someone. I, I get it creates a sort of you know I'm a reasonably confident person who's used to speaking to people and often speaking to people I don't know very well. But to correct someone who said that, I still find exceptionally difficult to do and mm. I, I i always sort of have this slight feeling though that i've done a disservice to millie because i feel like i should correct them and so those occasions when i don't i'm like i do feel like i've let her down and i um uh you know so that's a work in progress yeah another one is a typical baby like yeah. I, I was when leo was first born i said you know leo is going to have uh, different challenges to a normal baby and you go, actually, it, again, totally makes sense. What is normal? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is normal we're, for all of us? We're, we're, all, we're all normal and we're all abnormal. Yeah, and you've got uh, risk and chance as well. So um, uh, th- th- that, that's, a, that's another one of those. Finally, Jim, because I know I've kept you for a long time. But finally, Jim, what advice would you give to a dad who isn't ready to talk to anyone but is listening to this? I would say get to know your child spend time with them be involved don't let the fears that you have stop you creating that bond and 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 getting involved in the mundanity and the wonderfulness and the terribleness of 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 life with your child and then the the technique i used really was to just chip away at things so i would i suppose what i did was go here's something i'm worried about i would try to sort of find out more about it. And then when I'd felt I didn't want to look at that anymore, I would sort of stop and then I'd go back to it. So I d- don't, don't try and like solve every question in your mind all at once. And, and, you know, when you're ready, speak to some other parents. Jim Bose, dad to Millie, three and a half. Thanks ever so much for, for joining me today and having this conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Pads Dads podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please share it with someone you think might find it interesting. Um, And of course, please don't forget to check out Down Syndrome UK. Their website is downsyndromeuk.co.uk or you can search for Positive About Down Syndrome on social media. Pads is all about promoting greater inclusion and acceptance, providing training and resources to maternity units and health professionals, but also, of course, supporting families of children with Down Syndrome through up-to-date information and support, counselling, working with experts to provide online early development courses. There's so much stuff that Down Syndrome UK do, so please do have a look. Uh, In fact, you can go and find specific resources, downsyndromeuk.co.uk forward slash resources. Um, The final thing to say is don't forget there is a Pads Dads and a Pads Dads to Be. There are two closed private Facebook groups. If you want to join them, just search for them on Facebook. Um, Thank you so much again for listening. We really appreciate your time and I really hope that you join me again to meet another Pads Dad next time. Thank you.